0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. John Leahy with you. Thanks so much for being with us once again on the podcast. want to thank my guest from last week, Pete DeVito, a good friend of mine, former colleague at Merrimack. We discussed sports information with Pete and how important sports information directors are to us play-by-play guys at the college ranks. So uh, if you had a chance to uh, check that out, I'm very grateful. If not, uh, please check out our podcasting website. You can find it at... Uh, LeahyStorytelling.com Leah That's L-E-A-H-Y Storytelling.com There's a, uh, some great features on there. You can contact me uh, by voicemail. There's a purple microphone in the lower right-hand corner of each page. There's also an area where you can leave a review, either zero to five stars. You can also leave your written comments. There's a blog up there. There's also some uh, videos as well. So, uh, a lot of cool things there. It's Storytelling. Dot com. Well, college hockey is right around the corner as we have turned the calendar into September. And uh, joining us on the podcast this week, a gentleman who's been with us before. You've seen him on TV. If you cover, uh, if you watch college hockey, he's the uh, preeminent uh, college hockey uh, analyst in the game today. And uh, we're going to talk uh, Division I college hockey, uh, men's college hockey today. Dave Starman joins us uh, today. And Dave, it's a real pleasure to have you. Thanks for spending some time today.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me back, and and by the way, I echo your sentiments about the SIDs and having having now. This will be twenty year twenty for me doing college hockey, and I got to tell you, they, there's not a bad SID that I've ever dealt with. Some of them have become good friends, and I've watched a lot of them go on to, you know, even bigger and better coming from the SID ranks. They are such an important part of what they do.
0: Yeah, I have what you? Right. And have you noticed that uh, they're very much overworked and and they really don't get the level of pay that they deserve?
1: I would totally agree with that. Overworked, underpaid. They do it. They do it well. They don't complain. I mean, I just it's they're a joy to the college hockey SIDs have been a joy to work with. And like I said, so many of them have just become good friends over the years.
0: Absolutely, Dave. Well, I thought we'd dive into uh, college hockey today, and uh, with the uh, regular season now uh, less than a month away, I thought it'd be a good time just to take a look around college hockey. We'll take a look at the six conferences and uh, the independents. We'll also maybe touch on some of the top stories uh, in college hockey, and Dave, I figured we'd go uh, alphabetical here. We'll start uh, with Atlantic Hockey, and uh, the first thing I think of with Atlantic Hockey, Dave, is uh, Sacred Heart. They're getting a new arena down there. Exciting times uh, for the Sacred Heart Pioneers?
1: I, I, First of all, I can't believe that with C.J. Maritolo as the head coach, he didn't tie-dye the building, being the big deadhead that he is. <laughs> but it's, I think that place is going to be terrific. I've seen a lot of drawings of it. And I, for Sacred Heart, this is really good. To me, It's if you can get your building on campus, like Colorado College, same kind of deal. You can get your building on campus, and it's a good building, and it's not too big, so that you can create a really good product and a demand for your ticket then I think you're really starting to, to do some good things. Connecticut is a great hockey state. It's starting to produce more players. Youth hockey is thriving in the state. The fact that there are four Division I programs that are there and then they play an annual tournament now every year, Connecticut Ice, I think is really, really good. And that building, I think, will be a big part of Connecticut Ice moving in the future. But for Sacred Heart, I think for them, this really not only levels the playing field in terms of recruiting for Atlantic hockey, but I think that puts them probably in the – upper half, and I would say that they will probably start to give AIC a good run for their money in the upcoming years.
0: Well, you mentioned AIC, and uh, Dave, for a long time, they've been the top team. Uh, do you see them as, as, once again, being the team to beat in Atlantic hockey?
1: I'm a little biased, because Eric Lang's one of my former players, and i just so enjoyed watching what he has done and, and the program that he's built. And I, I don't know if there's anybody who has thought more outside the box and done more with less to offer it, just in terms of big picture and bells and whistles than Langer has. And I think they're going to be a tough nut to crack because of the fact that no matter who he brings in for assistance, he consistently loses assistance to bigger schools, but it's because he does a great job of developing coaches and he does a really good job of developing players and, and building winning programs. and there's a coaching platform that I belong to called the coaches site. And he's got a really good presentation on it about building leadership and building a culture. And I, I just, I think that Atlantic is theirs to rule until somebody steps up and proves that they can knock him off. But just the way Eric thinks and the way that he approaches it and the non-traditional route that he's taken to recruiting and kind of the worldwide influence that, that he's brought in. I, I love what they've done and he has absolutely, painted a masterpiece of a picture in terms of how to survive a little off the beaten path.
0: And uh, absolutely. And you take a look at what's going on down at West Point, Dave. Uh, Coach Brian Riley is adding his son, Jack Riley, uh, to the coaching staff there. So uh, the Riley hockey coaching uh, tradition continues.
1: It's funny, too, because I'm waiting to see if Brett Riley is going to add Rob to his staff at LIU because I know that was kind of floating around as as a potential possibility. And, I, I love the Riley story. I was telling somebody that this morning, like if you're going to have a – you want a really cool podcast or a really good Zoom call to to broadcast, get all the Rileys on because they're oh, the an army since like world war one right i mean they go back a thousand years there and i just think it's it's so cool and you know, brian's a tremendous coach rob was a great coach in his own right and it's nice to see the offspring kind of following it along and you know brian and rob have often told me great stories about when they were in army and some of the legendary coaches that have come through there starting with a guy like mike who used to babysit for him i mean like it's just a cool vibe wow. with, with what the rileys have done and and i know brian has talked about retirement I hope he stays on a little while longer. I would love to see O'Reilly continue on at West Point, and just the fact that they continue to be competitive year after year is a credit to him.
0: Dave, let me ask you about RIT. This is an interesting team. Uh, This is a team that got a lot of offensive production from their freshman class last year. 20% of the goals that uh, RIT scored last year were from the uh, freshman group. So uh, what do you think of this team, and uh, how strong will they be?
1: You know, one – Wayne Wilson is a, is a really bright offensive coach. And I I just think that he understands the dynamics that he brings in. And and when you could bring in a bunch of high flying younger players and I don't mean younger in age, I mean, younger, just in class, Uh, you can build a pretty good culture because he's not in a situation where he's going to have players that are a flight risk. Like, michigan would you know so it's not like you're bringing in a bunch of high-flying freshmen and sophomores that are coming in and they're gonna be one and done or two and done like i i love the fact that he's gonna be able to keep these kids around and build around them and the one thing that good players want to do is play with other good players so for rit to be able to present this to future recruiting classes in terms of the new building it's a good program it's well coached and you can come in and play with this younger group that's going to be around for a while like to me that sets them up moving forward in a really good spot the other thing is obviously it's a great school academically and it's not a hard school in terms of the travel demands and to me like that's also a part of it too if you can spend a, most of your season somewhere close to home and in your own bed i mean that makes for a whole bunch of rested players come playoff time when you really need to, to make a run
0: dave do you see a sleeper team uh, in atlantic hockey that we should keep an eye on
1: well, that's a good one. Uh, I can't tell you, I know the conference well enough to tell you who's coming out of nowhere. I would tell you, though, that when you, you, you mentioned the obvious ones. You got Sacred Heart and you got AIC, and you got RIT that are going to be big time teams. West Point's always competitive. To me, the school I always like to watch is Air Force. I mean, Frank territory is <laughs> worth the price of admission. I did a I did a supposing within the summer and I'm still laughing at some of the things he said. He's a a really bright coach. He's a wonderful guy, and he's really good for our game. Another school I would keep an eye on is Canisius. I'm a big fan of Trevor Large. I think he's a bright coach. He's got a tremendous building to recruit into. He's in a really good area. I I would always keep my eye on Canisius because I think that they're one of those schools that could just jump up and pop at you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I I always kind of think of Mercyhurst in that uh, conference, too, because Rick gotkin has been around forever, and he gets the most out of what he has over there.
1: Oh, you want to talk about funny? I mean, like if to me, if you're in the NCAA hockey community, and you want to put two people out in front of an audience, uh, so why you should play college hockey with the personalities that are here, <laughs> yeah. and Frank territory could be one and two, Tom Serrotory could be right down there on that same list on that Mount Rushmore of sense of humors. Uh, I I think Ricky's done a great job in all these years. I mean, he's really built a nice, solid, clean program that competes well and you know, if you're a young player, like how would you not want to play for, for Rick? It's just, he just, I would have to think that every day you're walking in a locker with some kind of a smile on from something he said, and like he's funny and means to be. And then there are times where he's funny and doesn't mean to be. And that's when he's even funnier. Yeah.
0: We've had a chance to interview him many times and uh, we found him to be one of the most uh, congenial coaches and just a real pleasure to deal with. So uh, why don't we move on to the CCHA Dave and, uh, we, we start with a team, uh, Minnesota State, a, a team that uh, went to the Frozen Four last year. Mike Hastings was uh, courted by the NHL. Uh, what's Minnesota State's outlook this year?
1: Really, really, really good. And I know they got to replace a high-end goaltender, but when you look around college hockey, there have been a lot of teams that have had really, really good goalies you've had to replace. And you know what? Teams replace them. And that's the it's the beauty of our game, and it's the beauty of sports. Great players move on, and you have to find new great players. and. You know, Minnesota State has done that. They've had a lot of really good forwards and have graduated, and they've replaced them. They've had three defensemen, and I'll, and I'll start with the with the D-Corp. For a long time, I was an NHL scout, both with Montreal and Toronto, and it always seemed like Minnesota State had a free agent defenseman that we were running around the country watching, whether it was Nelson or Brickley or, or, or Mackey, and, and every year, you know, one of those big-time names leaves, and somebody else came in and replaces them. They, they do a really good job recruiting the state but they also do a really good job recruiting outside of it. And we talked about bringing in older freshmen, like Minnesota state has put on a clinic in terms of bringing in older quality players that stay for four years, that that grow within the program, that create a culture. Like they're the fact that they're this good is not an accident. A lot of it has to do with the battle plan of the coaching staff and how they recruit. And a lot of it has to do with the players that they've brought in and how good they have been. And you look at a guy like Ryan Sandlin who comes in with a little pedigree and and has been around championship locker rooms and, and what he brings to the table. And it's a great program. They've done wonders with that building in Mankato. So it's a real good place to see a game as a fan. It's a great place to be a player because of all the accoutrements they have put into that building. And it's a nice little town to, to go to school in. So I, I think Minnesota State continues to rule the roost until somebody knocks them off.
0: Absolutely. And you know, I'd love to see Mankato. I've never had the chance to get out there, but I've heard great things about it. Uh, another school out there, Dave, in uh, Minnesota is a very young school in uh, St. Thomas. And, uh, you know, maybe some growing pains last year, but uh, they certainly have experience at the coaching uh, position. And uh, how, how do you, how does St. Thomas break down for you?
1: I think that they're going to go through their growing pains for probably another couple of years until until the younger players in the program, the newer players in the program that are going to be the guys that leave after three, four years and sort of establish that first wave of the culture can make their imprint on the program. But I will tell you this, when, when Rico Blasi was at Miami, he created what was called the Brotherhood. And it was a really unique dynamic within that Miami dressing room. And he's going to bring that same thing to st thomas he's got leon hayward there who's a tremendous assistant coach but i I just think rico is battle tested he understands how to build a program not much bothered him he has been through his share of adversity and has come through it i think he's a quality human being he's a stand-up guy there's no bs to him he stays in the moment he doesn't get rattled if things don't go real well he's learned how to coach good teams. He's learned how to coach average teams, but most importantly, he's got a track record of player development. And I think for St. Thomas, they they couldn't have made a better choice bringing Rico in to be the first guy to build this program.
0: And Dave, you know, I've had a chance to do games out at uh, Bemidji State, and uh, you mentioned Coach Sarator. Uh, you know. Uh, that's an outstanding program out there and and they have uh, been consistently good and you know i i see them uh, continuing to have that good level of consistency how do they look to you
1: they are hard nosed they don't quit they don't beat themselves and if they lose a game it's just because somebody was either just a little bit better or made one more play than they did it's the highest compliment i can give to a program is that they rarely have ever beat themselves and when you watch Bemidji because they're another team that's had a couple of free agents that I run around and chase so I, I've gotten a chance to see them a ton and the, the energy of of Saratori as the head coach is is amazing I mean the, the, it's like the energizer bunny whose batteries never run out I mean this guy is unreal and, and and he injects that into his team and his team takes on the personality of of the head coach they play hard they play smart they fill lanes they defend well they've always had good goaltending they've always been able to have a couple of defensemen who can who can move pucks and run a power play. I, I, The outlook for Bemidji, to me, is always real good. I think they're always one of those teams that should be in the top three of the CCHA or top four. They're always a team that I think is a legitimate threat to win the conference and get themselves into the NCAA tournament, which they've been to a couple of times. And like I said, just, it's a program that takes on the personality uh, that Ernie presents it, and, and he's done a really wonderful job and, and also done a real good job with that building and 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 their – Their facilities. It's a good place to play.
0: Absolutely. And uh, another team that I root for, Dave, in that conference is Lake Superior State. uh, Another school I had a chance to visit a couple of years ago. Uh, uh, Damon Witten, what an outstanding job he's done there at Lake Superior State. And that's a wonderful place to see a game in as well.
1: It really is. We had a chance to do a playoff game there a long time ago when I think we're still CSTV. And uh, they played Ohio State in a game there and it was a cool little town and, and, and a nice rink and you know i, I know lake superior state as a school has battled some challenges in terms of keeping admissions up and and enrollment up and, and and the program has stayed competitive and you know damon has flown very much under the radar and it might just be because of their remote location but i, I think you bring up a really good point in terms of how well that program is run and the job that he's done and you know on that note speaking of guys that are kind of in remote spots there are a couple other schools that when, I, when you look at them, I think you really got to give them a lot of credit. One is Michigan Tech. Uh, that is a program that has always been good. They're developing players. They're moving players on to pro hockey. And and they have they have created a nice culture and, and, and always a hard out. And it's funny because the Minnesota State guys said it was a weekend series of Michigan Tech that really woke them up and got them prepared for their run through the playoffs and, and the NCAA tournament because Michigan Tech played the kind of hockey that they knew that they were going to see moving through the NCAA tournament. I thought that was a humongous compliment for Tech. The other one's Northern Michigan. and Keep your eye on Grant Patolny as a head coach. Uh, I think Northern Michigan's lucky to have him. I love what he's building there, and if he continues to do it, he's not going to be there for long.
0: Outstanding, Dave. So uh, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, you feel Minnesota State is the team to beat over there in the CCHA.
1: Just like AIC, until somebody figures out how to knock them off, they're the team to beat.
0: All right, let's take a look at hockey's Boy, there's a lot going on, Dave, in this conference and let's start at Boston College. Jerry York steps down after 28 years at the Heights and an even longer career. Uh how does BC make the transition over to Greg Brown? How's that going to go?
1: I think easily. You know, it's funny. I was actually on the phone with Mike Harris this morning just kind of shooting a breeze and and we're talking a little bit about BC and he's excited to get going and get the goalies going and uh, you know brownie is he's got a very similar personality to jerry i mean they're both just easygoing guys they're very cerebral they're they're they can be animated when they want to be they can be intense when they want to be but you know for the most part they just kind of take what the game gives them they take what the season gives them but on the other hand they're they're both really bright hockey guys and you know i think one thing you'll see from greg brown is a continued emphasis on defenseman being very involved in the play he was that kind of player and it's funny, we joke about that all the time. Every time we see defensemen scoring goals, you know, shoot him a text, say, hey, great to see those blue liners lighting the lamp. So I think he's going to continue to encourage his defensemen to play the modern style of game and be involved in the play, get pucks out quick. And uh, with Mike Ayers there, goaltending should always be good. I don't think it's a hard transition because Greg Brown knows BC, BC knows Greg Brown, and they will always stay true to their identity in terms of what they want to recruit. They'll find some size and hard skill, and they'll continue to find those smaller guys that can just slash in the hard areas and make plays.
0: And right up the street on Commonwealth Ave, uh, Dave, BU also making a change. You know, BU has that history of bringing in BU guys uh, to uh, do the head coaching. Jay Pandolfo is a guy who was there. He's got NHL experience. Uh, I know there's a lot of excitement over at BU right now.
1: I Listen, I, I will tell you this. I've had two coaches who have been head coaches at BU who have both said to me, you have no idea how hard it is to be the head coach at BU, <laughs> and, and I, I think it's an interesting comment. And maybe that's why the shelf life on on a couple of them were a little shorter. And it's a it's a demanding job. It's a little different than BC, I think, in a couple of ways. It's it's in the city. It's a little bit more of a high profile thing. And and they're they're one of those programs that prize themselves on trying to get the best players out there, whether it be from Eastern Mass or or, or the program or whatever the case is. And they deal with a lot of one and duns or 2 and duns, much like some of the other bright, shiny objects. So I think that 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 is going to be the biggest challenge. Where does Boston University want to go in terms of its recruiting? Do they want to continue to bring in guys like Trevor Zegers who are going to stay for a season and leave? Or are they going to start to, instead of trying to hit a home run with all the A-plus guys, are they going to go for a few A-minus guys that they're going to keep through their junior year so they can build some stability? I'm not quite sure where it goes just yet, but I am very intrigued to watch it.
0: Absolutely. Now, another intriguing story is uh, UConn. You, know, you take a look at that team and and uh, what kind of a season they had. They battled UMass in the hockey's championship game, losing in overtime. Mike Cavanaugh was courted by B.C. in the offseason. He's staying put. A new arena is coming uh, to UConn and stores there. You want to talk about a, a place with a lot of excitement. UConn is really that type of place.
1: And it's a brand-name school, too. I mean, a lot of it is because of the basketball program, but it's a a brand-name school, that's certainly not the football thing. I think they were just slightly ahead of UMass and down at the bottom of the college football rankings. But I I like Mike Cavanaugh as a coach. Mike actually grew up not far from from me, and so he's a Long Beach guy just like I am. And the one thing I think about Cav is he's cerebral. He's intense. I think he really understands how to build a program the way he's built it actually coming off of his run at BC where players were literally just coming to them. And he's done similar to what Eric Lang has done. He's, he's gone the international route at times and it's worked for him. He's built a program that can score goals. He's built a program that's had goaltending for just about every year that he's been there. That new rink is going to be a huge help for them. And once again, you create a buzz on campus. That's what student athletes want. They want a buzz on campus and i think that's gonna be a huge attraction for uconn
0: well i just did the hockey's preseason media poll and i've got northeastern at the top and uh, they've got a couple of key pieces coming back uh, dave Aiden mcdonough and uh, uh, devin levi in goal uh will northeastern continue to be at the top of the heap
1: i will tell you this i i have so much respect for jerry keep as an offensive mind i got to know him really well through a couple of world juniors and you know i know him a little bit uh, before then, when he was Jimmy's assistant, but I, when when I talk about offensive hockey, he is one of those guys that just consistently impresses me with how he sees the game and uh, envelopes he wants to push and, and where he wants to take it in terms of how he wants his team to score goals. And that's why I think that program is in, in really good shape. And once again, they've created this vibe for themselves they've created this reputation for themselves as a place where players want to play the the rink's historic the school's terrific i mean academically the school's off the charts they're in they're in the city so if you want that component you got it and they have figured out how to recruit with the big boys like to me you know in in michigan like the greater detroit area between michigan and michigan state you, you got that battle you got minnesota minnesota duluth which is you know another unique recruiting battle but to me the boston schools are the most unique bu and bc have always courted the Eastern Mass kids and gotten most of them. Now schools like Providence and Northeastern and and UMass and Lowell, they have all figured out how to glance at Boston, but find so many players elsewhere that want to come in and play within the 128 perimeter, and I think it's been
0: great. Well, you talk about Lowell, and uh, they're always going to be there as well. Norm Bazin, uh, what a job he's done with the River Hawks. They're just consistent year in and year out, and and you can bet that the River Hawks are going to be uh, right near the top.
1: They just play so hard. Like, they just wear you out. Like, we just talked about Bemidji State. Uh, to me, UMass Lowell is the same kind of deal. I mean, they're just one of those teams that if they lose a game, it just was because they weren't good enough. And that's no fault of anybody. I mean, there are just teams out there that are better than they are. But they are. They're disciplined. and uh, They fill lanes well. They defend well. I, I like what he's done. He's just – he's created a blueprint where it's not necessarily cut and paste, but it's one of those things where – when you bring players in, they have found a way to assimilate into the way that he wants to play fairly quickly so that when they go from first semester freshman to second semester freshman, you can really see the acceleration in their game, which leads them coming back as sophomores and throughout in terms of being able to not only hand down the way Norm wants to play, but they can still adhere to the message that he's preaching.
0: And of course, UMass has been at the top as well over the past couple of years. Where do you see the Minutemen fitting into this hockey's puzzle?
1: All right, here's another one I'm biased on because my kid goes to UMass. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten a chance to watch UMass a lot. I really like Greg Garibaldi as a coach. I, he's he's tough. He can be gruff. He's intense. He I think he coaches with a chip on his shoulder, and I love those kinds of coaches. And where does UMass fit into all this? I think that they're always going to be near the upper echelon of hockey East for a couple of reasons. Number one is they recruit. Well, number two is they got that big rink and they know how to use it. Number three is they consistently bring in really good defensemen who can move the puck and, and their goaltending's always been stable. So uh, UMass is another one of those schools that's created a niche, won a national title. have always been competitive. They've been on TV a lot. They've had a chance to show where they are. They've lost two terrific assistant coaches. Benny Barr is as good an assistant coach as there was in terms of recruiting and teaching. He's now the head coach at Maine, right. and we, we certainly have seen what, what Maine is starting to do. And then they lost Jared DeMichael uh, this past season. Jared was a tremendous goalie guy who also was a real good recruiter. So they, I, I think that staff as a trio was real good, so I'm intrigued to see how it works now as they're going to a, a season where neither DeMichael nor Barr is there.
0: Great stuff, Dave. Let's take a look at the Big Ten, if we could. Uh, Obviously, the big story over there is Michigan. Uh, Coach Pearson, uh, Mel Pearson, has been uh, let go of his duties. Uh, They bring in uh, Brendan Narado, who was an assistant. Really, a lot of turmoil over there in Michigan. How do the Wolverines start to heal?
1: You know, that's a good question. It's funny because I think of Brendan Narado and Todd Woodcroft from Vermont in a similar vein in terms of really good young coaches who know how to build a program and come from a skills background, but can also incorporate the X's and O's component into the game. And, you know, for, from Michigan, how do they heal? I, that's a great question because I'm not exactly sure of all that transpired there. Apparently it wasn't good. I didn't dig in really deep. And I gotta be honest. I really like Mel. Like, I Melo has treated me very well. I had a great 20-year relationship with him. I hate to see what happened there, and I, I don't know who's to blame and who's not to blame. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go down that route. But I will say that what happened has happened, and I think Brandon is going to be a real good hire for them. I, I, he's a young coach. He's got experience. He's got some NHL background to him in terms of his, his time as a skills coach with the Red Wings. He brought in Topher Scott as one of his assistants. Topher was a tremendously gifted offensive player in his days at Cornell. And has had some assistant coaching success at the NCAA level and head coaching success at the U16 level. So I, I I'm looking forward to seeing where they go with this. They've got a lot of rebuilding to do because they lost a lot of big names. And you know, to me, sometimes when you don't have all those high end guys that have to share one puck, life can get a little easier for you as a head coach. So uh, Michigan's journey, I think, early on this season will be a fun one to follow.
0: And uh, let's take a look at Michigan State as well. They have a new coach, Adam Nightingale. We had a chance to meet him last year at Merrimack when uh, the U.S. Uh, national development team uh, came in. So what do you know about Adam Nightingale and how much of a fit do you think uh, he'll be at Michigan State?
1: Uh, yeah, Nighty's a nice low-key guy. He's intense, but he's, he's, he's low-key. He's cerebral. He's a, he's a hell of a defenseman in his day, so he understands that part of the game. And, you know, he certainly has proven that he can coach good players. So I, I think that helps. You know, he's got Jared DeMichael there who's going to, who's going to be a big boon to helping the goaltenders. And so I, I think that I think they're in good shape and I think they've been able to do some things in the off season in terms of bringing in some high end recruits though. So, now Michigan state right now is a school that couldn't bring in enough high end guys to help the rebuild start because I just, for some strange reason, they weren't getting them. So I think this is a good start for them. And if they do bring in a couple high flying guys that maybe are one and two and done, might not be the worst thing in a roll for them because that at least creates the pipeline. And like we just talked about, what do good players want to do? They want to play with other good players. So you start to bring in some of these high-end kids. You're going to find some other high-end kids. And to me, the battle for the state of Michigan is one of the most intriguing recruiting battles you're going to find. Because normally, Michigan wins the big battles. In the old days, Michigan State tended to come in second. That wasn't the case for the last five or six years because Western Michigan was winning a lot of those secondary battles and getting a lot of really good players in there. And northern Michigan was doing the same. You've seen the success that Lake has had. So all of a sudden, you got this you got this monster that's been created in terms of recruiting the in-state players. Where this goes from here with some of the new faces and new places, and especially with the success of Western and the conference that they play in, like this just got really fun for the first time in a long
0: time. Absolutely. We're talking with Dave Starman. Uh, Dave is uh, a college hockey broadcaster and writer. And uh, I'm John Leahy. This is uh, airing it out, files from Leahy's broadcast booth. Check us out at LeahyStorytelling.com. Dave, does anything else grab you in the Big Ten? Minnesota and Notre Dame, a couple of uh, uh, perennial uh, powerhouses. And uh, Wisconsin also seems like a team uh, that uh, needs to take a few steps up.
1: Let's go with Minnesota. Minnesota did itself a huge favor. It's funny, they lost Garrett Ravlin to Augustana. He'll be their new head coach. Garrett, to me, is a tremendous assistant coach, and I'm looking forward to seeing him become a head coach. So what did they do? Garrett was a great assistant, and they still managed to upgrade by bringing in Steve Miller from Ohio State. To me, Steve Miller's the best assistant coach in college hockey, bar none. And so with Steve Miller there now with Bob Motzko, like all of a sudden, and and Ben Gordon there too, I mean, that's a nice three-headed monster to run that program, which is in pretty good shape to begin with. And I think that, you know, they learned a pretty good lesson in the the national semifinal game against Minnesota state. I mean, all of them have said to a man that the Mavericks just threw them around. So I think for Minnesota, their key is going to be, obviously be a little bit grittier in their own end, but I I think that they may be looking to, to go with a few players where they can start to build some size. They can start to put some players in a lineup with some man strength as opposed to the boy strength, which they have or the boy skill that they have. And I think that that's going to be the mix that they're going to look to do but they made a really nice addition with Steve Miller as an assistant coach. And for Wisconsin, I think that they're on the clock right now and, and, and their staff will admit it too. It's, it's been an interesting summer for them. And I, they've, they've had some good teams and they've had some not so good teams. And I do think that they need a big season to get this thing going back in the right direction. Can they recruit talent? Of course they can. Do they have a great building? Sure they do. And back in the, the last couple of decades when that place was full, it was as good a place to watch a game as any. The challenge for them is going to be getting that back.
0: Absolutely. All right, Dave, let's take a look at the ECAC. Uh, first item of note here, uh, well, the first team I want to mention actually is uh, Quinnipiac and uh, Rand Pecknold. What a decorated coach. Uh, they seem to be the top dog in the ECAC.
1: You know, I, I've known Rand for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, I think when they went Division One one of the first players that they signed was a kid out of my program. This was like in the mid nineties. So I've known ran a long time and I really like the guy. And we've had some great hockey conversations. We've argued about some stuff and shared some stuff and, I, I think the world of him and what he's done, and he's another guy that's kind of had a rotation of, of assistants that have developed into the good head coaches, you he ran a uh, free cash now at Dartmouth and, and Billy Regan now at Holy cross. And you know, the names or the faces change, but the success remains the same. And so that has to get drawn back to the head coach. And you're talking about a program that played at a municipal ring for a long time. And he got that or helped get that beautiful building built. And when you look at their success, they have dominated their league. They've been as good as anybody. They've made a couple of frozen fours and come up short against two good teams. They're a perennial threat to make the national championship. And I think that their game against Michigan last year was a real indication of what Quinnipiac was. Because at the end of the second period, down four rip, they could have folded the tents. And they made that game a whole lot harder on Michigan than it should it ever have been. And that's what Quinnipiac is. They, they've always got skill. Uh, they've always got a couple of real good puck movers. They've been real lucky with the goaltending. It's been excellent throughout the better part of the last 10, 15 years. I don't think that changes.
0: All right. Uh, RPI, Dave Smith gets a contract extension. Dave's one of the really good guys in college hockey. RPI lost some significant uh, players in the portal. Uh, what are your thoughts on the engineers?
1: I just like the fact they brought Dave back. I, I, I think Dave's an underrated coach, and I think – it's funny. I've always said this about Mark Bergevin as an NHL GM that if he was anywhere from Montreal, he probably want a cup he would have won a cup already. I look at Dave Smith as a guy where, you know, if he was in a program that was a little bit brighter and shinier, you know what I mean? Like a, like one of those brand name schools. It yeah. might be a little different too. I think he's a bright guy. I think that he recruits as, as well as he can. I think he's brought in a couple of a couple of good recruits to to start it with this season. You know, he faces the challenge of a, a building that's a little older he's in an area where it's sometimes a little tough to recruit to, but I always think Dave puts out a product that is worth watching, and I think that will continue.
0: All right, let's take a look at Dartmouth. Uh, They had some terrific freshmen last year, and uh, that bodes well uh, for the future. And, uh, of course, Dartmouth won't start till late October as they're uh, an Ivy League school, but uh, lots to be excited about up in Hanover, New Hampshire.
1: Reed Cashman might be one of my favorite people. I'll tell you a funny story about him. First, he was in Waterloo when I was a scout there back in. 2003-2004 so like I've known I've known Reed since he was a kid literally and but there was Reed and I coached a team together at uh, the national festival We coached the U16 team together uh, during the during the national camp and and this is great because Reed's a pretty low-key guy and this is why I love him so we're playing a game and you know at the national camp there's two separate pools and if you win your pool there's always a prize for the team whether it's a free stick or something and so I was kind of getting behind my guys they try to get into 4-0 and and, and win the pool. And we're in the middle of either the third game or the fourth game. We get a penalty called against us and, and I'm a little hot under the collar about the call and and I'm standing on a bench yelling and Reed walks over to me and he grabs me by the sleeve and he pulls me down he says, Dave, it's July. <laughs> 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 and that's what, that's what I love about him. He's just got a great sense of humor. He's got a great ability to process you know, what's going on around him. So I think he's going to do a really good job at Dartmouth. And the one thing that he has proven that he can do is develop defensemen. When you look at Quinnipiac when during his time, Quinnipiac put on a lot of really good blue liners and I to me if you're a young defenseman and you want to play in an area where you're just going to get better and better from that position and become that modern day defenseman Playing at Dartmouth is something you might want to think about. I, I I've got all the respect in the world for for Cash, and I am really excited to see where he takes Dartmouth's program.
0: Well, Merrimack starts the year up at uh, Saint Lawrence and at Clarkson. Maybe you could break down those two North Country teams for us.
1: I will tell you what I I've known Brett Brecky a long time, and I, I, Brent's a pretty intense guy, and I I like the way he coaches. Like he's one of those coaches to me that's just a sponge. Like everywhere he goes, he Picks up a little bit here and a little bit there, and he's he's not afraid to pick your brain. He's not afraid to change up a little bit, and I think that he is really invested there. And I think that's a good thing because as you look over the years, I'm not quite sure that St. Lawrence has had the coach that's just invested in wanting to be at St. Lawrence for a long, long time. And I think Brent would be very happy to try to create a Joe March style run at St. Lawrence. So we'll see where that goes, but I think the program's in and really good hands. And those North country teams, I mean, they've got, they've got some of the same challenges that some of the other small market programs do. And that is recruiting. And uh, they've been able to, they've been able to do. Okay. I just think it's always going to be a bugaboo because of travel and, and location, but both of them, I'll tell you what, both of those programs playing great buildings, and they're both in really good hands. All
0: right, Dave, let's uh, move on to the NCHC. That's the conference you cover most frequently. Denver, what a story. National champs, David Carl extended. Uh, the Pioneers are in a great way right now.
1: They want to be the – I love what he said last year. We are talking – we just kind of shooting the bulldog on the, the Frozen Four, and there was all that talk about tying Michigan for most national titles. And he goes, we don't care about tying Michigan. We just want to be the first of 10.
0: There you go. I think yeah.
1: that was a great great mantra to have players come into in terms of that kind of challenge first team to get to double digits for national championships in men's division one ice hockey uh, you know david's david's a, is another one of those cerebral coaches he's he's really grown into the role and he's had wonderful role models ahead of him and i think the best thing that he has is not only is he confident in himself but he's good enough that he could sit with his two assistants and davis mcmillan and dallas ferguson both have been head coaches of college hockey and Dallas has been a head coach in the Western Hockey League. So you're talking about two guys that have walked a mile in David's shoes. Could it be any better as a head coach to have two assistant coaches that have both been head coaches in college hockey to be able to throw some and that are older, to throw some ideas off of? So there's, there's no ego issues in, in Denver with the coaching staff. They bring in a lot of high-caliber players. They have figured out a way to not overload the pot with too many of the same players. And that has been a big key in their success.
0: Who do you see as being the biggest threat to them in that conference, Dave? North Dakota immediately comes to mind.
1: Everybody's a threat to them. That's the beauty of the NCH. Like, everybody's <laughs> a threat. Now, now, I know CC and Miami still have some building to do under new coaches. And don't think for one second that those two schools aren't sitting there trying to figure out a way to knock off the big boys and, and literally hammering away at their athletic departments for what more can we do, what more can we do. To, to try to keep up, and Miami and CC and any other conference, you know, it's, it's, they're not seven and eight like they're somewhere somewhere else, and that's right. a credit to those teams. But I think in that conference right now, you've got a big six in the in the other schools. Omaha to me has taken some major major steps under Mike Gabinet. and as I've said many times on air, they they are now built to play with the big boys, and you know they're a program where they're not going to get that high end kid like maybe North Dakota will, but they've also figured out a way through the portal and with some transfers to take other to take players that didn't fit in at their first school and become really big assets at UNO. So keep your eye on the Mavericks. I, I always think that they're worth the price of admission. And then, you know, then you started to get into Minnesota, Duluth, and North Dakota, and St. Cloud State. I know I'm missing somebody in this group. And
0: Yeah, you, Western you just, Michigan, right?
1: That's it. And Western, who I talked about before. So, you know, you're talking about those schools. I mean, on any given day, any one of those schools could be the best team in the country. And the, the beauty of the NCHC, and you'll love this, and Chris Mayotte was the one who told me this, and now the head coach at CC, and remember, he was an assistant at Michigan, so he's been in both conferences. He said, the Big Ten, to me, is a conference that's got players that will scare you.
0: The right, NCHC
1: has got teams that will scare you. Absolutely. Was a great analysis of those two conferences, and that's really what the NCHC is. It's a lot of really, really good players, a few great players, a lot of really, really good programs, and they are the best conference in college hockey for a reason.
0: And, you know, what? you mentioned Western Michigan. I, I think this is a team that, that is not going to skip a beat. They have a new coach there, but, uh, you know, I, I expect them to be very good.
1: This is a great one. They're, they're in the playoffs, and they're losing – I think they're losing to Omaha like 2 nothing or 3-1, and it's late. And first, Pat the head coach, calls timeout. He brings everybody in, and he says – I think it was late second period when this happened. He brings everybody in, and it's game one of the playoff series, and he says, guys, don't get nervous. He goes, we score four goals a game. You can look it up. <laughs> and from that moment on, the entire team relaxed, and what they do? They went out and scored three more and won the game 4-2. I love his impact on his program. He's a little outside the box. He could be a little unconventional at times, but on the other side of it, he could be the prototypical pro coach that has gone from college to pro back to college and understands what you need to bring down from the NHL into your program and what from your program helps your players translate to that next level. I am really excited about where Western Michigan's going.
0: All right, Dave, let's finish up with some uh, quick talk on independence. Uh, I want to start with Lindenwood because this is a team that is now going to play a D1 schedule. They've got a guy uh, in Rick Zombo who played in the NHL at Detroit, St. Louis, and Boston. He's had success, and I'm curious to see how that success uh, will possibly translate to a full D1 season.
1: Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a chance to sit and talk to Rick at all?
0: No, I haven't. I haven't met him yet, no.
1: Okay, get him on the podcast. He is phenomenal. I mean, we we were out there at Lindenwood uh, or at the Blues practice rink where Lindenwood plays, and we were out there this summer because my son was in Dubuque's camp, and so we had a chance to meet him and sit down and talk with him. And I had I really never had met him. And my wife, being you know Mrs. Detroit Red Wing, you know she was thrilled enough right. to, to be in that <laughs> conversation. Hey, I love his energy. I love his philosophy. I love where he's going with this. And I think that if if a team takes on the reflection, the personality of a head coach, then you know, Linda Wood's going to be a fun watch. I mean, Rick is Rick has got a ton of energy. He's got a lot of unique ideas. He's got a really good staff there. and I, I'm really excited to see where he takes this, but he is a must guest for your podcast, trust me.
0: Outstanding. I will keep that in mind. Uh, let, let's also talk about Long Island. This is a team that seemed to get stronger through the transfer portal, and uh, they had a, a pretty good recruiting class as well. Where do you see Long Island fitting in?
1: I, I love the fact that L.A.U.'s got a team and Brett Riley is going to do a really good job there because he's a motivated guy who doesn't doesn't deal with a lot of baloney and he believes in himself that he's a he's a young guy with confidence. And you know, I, I think that as that program continues to show that they are they are worth it, then the athletic department at L.A.U. is going to continue to invest and reinvest in the program. And, you know, they had a couple of small challenges to face. One is they don't play on campus, which. I think hurts them a little bit, but the school is not far from where they play, but they play in a really good rink. It's, it's, a, it's a public rink, but it's, it's, or I mean, it's a municipal rink, but it's not like, it's not like your typical little rink that holds 200 people. I mean, you can put 3000 people in there for a game and, you know, they're building some facilities over there. So I think that'll be a, a good thing for them. And, you know, the, the trick is for them, how do you sell the program? You're an independent. You're not sure what conference you're going into. If you're going anywhere, you're probably going to Atlantic first. I think they are perfect for Hockey East at some point because Hockey East to be on the Long Island market, I think for them is a home run. So I kind of hope that happens. I do think it'll take a couple of years until we see the exact direction where LIU is going. But I think for the couple of seasons they've had, plus launching in the middle of COVID during a supply chain issue, uh, they've done a heck of a job.
0: Absolutely, Dave. And uh, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that hockey is fully back in Alaska. You've got two teams again. That's great to see.
1: I think it really is too. I I know it's troubling that they're not in a conference, and I know that you know, obviously Anchorage had that long association with the old WCHA and, and Alaska Fairbanks with the CCHA, and you know think of some of the coaches that have come out of Alaska Fairbanks. We talked about Dallas Ferguson. We talked about Tavis McMillan, and don't forget Guy Gadowski who's had a lot of success at Penn State and and some before then at Princeton. You know he was the head coach in Alaska Fairbanks also. So I mean they. They've had success with their coaches, and Colton Pareko is a heck of a player at the NHL level. You know, he played Alaska Fairbanks. I do think that it adds a little bit of culture and spice when you can have those teams. Anchorage is a city, gets raved about. And Fairbanks is a really cool little hockey community. So I, I'm thrilled to death that the Alaska schools are still going.
0: Absolutely, Dave. And last thing before I let you go, you know, we, t- we talk all the time about the growth of the game. You mentioned Augustana earlier. They're coming. And Robert Morris is being reinstated as well. So it's great to see that program back. And I'm eager to see both of those programs once they get going.
1: And don't forget Stonehill. So, I mean, like, yes. you you know, you've got some growth. And it's funny because, you know, when, when – you know, all of us talking heads in the college hockey world get together. And I'm like, okay, you know, what would be utopian as the, as the next thing, you know, we talk about the potential of the big 10 and the beltway has been a huge boon for hockey. The capitals have done an unreal job in terms of growing the game in the, in the mid Atlantic district. So I, I would love to see a school like Maryland, you know, turn the trick and, and try to get themselves uh, with a the division one program, which would go right into the big 10. Perfect. You know, I also think about Rutgers in New Jersey. New Jersey, and, and that's the Mid-Atlantic district. I mean, the state of New Jersey has done a really good job of not only developing players, but of, of having some really good junior teams. The New Jersey hitmen have been good for years, and and the New, Jer- the, the New Jersey Rockets, the New Jersey Colonials, I mean, the, the Mercer Chiefs, I mean, they've been a lot of really good programs that have been in New Jersey, and and now you got the New Jersey Titans, who play over at the Middletown Sports Complex, and uh, that's, you remember Mike Havill, who coached at CC, and yeah. George runs that program, and, there, and his dad, George Sr., who I coached against 30 years ago was kind of the patriarch of New Jersey hockey and you know the Titans won the North American Hockey League championship last year which was unbelievable under head coach Craig Doremus. and you know not only is their North American League program in great shape there are any 3 programs coming along their U18 program's terrific their U16 programs great and they've got a facility there that some NHL or some NCAA Division 1 teams would trade for in a second in terms of the the, the accoutrements and locker rooms and, and rehab equipment and training facilities it's unbelievable what's going on over there so like i would love to see rutgers get into this because rutgers is now in a huge hotbed uh, of youth hockey so if you can get maryland and and rutgers in on the big 10 side of things maybe you get like a villanova in to get the philadelphia market and i really think you need illinois and iowa to to come into iowa would be so easy with all the ushl teams in that state and illinois and it's in terms of how close it is to the chicago market i mean those are some of like the hopes that i have as a college hockey guy
0: yeah and you know the team i want to see uh, come into college hockey is navy i'd love to see navy army and air force in the same conference that would be spectacular
1: and and i'll tell you what you want a bucket list game to go to whatever game is the last game of the season series between army and air force is so worth going to because not only do they play incredibly hard against each other but when the game's over they do the handshake. Then they kind of do the big friendship circle in the middle of the ice where they salute right. the crowd together. Right. And then they do the post-game banquet together. I mean, everybody thinks about, yeah, these are just two college hockey teams playing against each other. And then you step back for a second. You think to yourself, like, these 40 players that you're looking at on the ice could potentially be the future leaders of our nation.
0: Absolutely. yeah.
1: And that, to me, to be able to salute them and, and and watch what they do on the ice and how hard they play and, and for those two programs to come together afterwards to, to – really look each other in the eye and say, Hey, listen, you know, we got a chance to really impact the country. It's really cool. So that's a, that to me is a bucket list game to go see.
0: Absolutely. Dave, where can people follow you uh, in terms of your broadcast this upcoming year?
1: Well, we got the world juniors that are starting on December 26th. So that'll be on the NHL network. And, and that'll be my, I think it's my 15th world junior. So I'm, I'm excited about that, that, that those kids always write the most unbelievable script and, we just do our best to just try to stay out of the way of it, to tell you the truth. I mean, We just try to enhance it where we can, but we let them be the stars of that show, and, and they always do. And then after that, the CBS Sports Network NCHC schedule will start, and that starts usually around early January. And hopefully in the fall, something pops up between whether it be Big Ten Network or some hockey stuff. We'll, we'll see where that goes.
0: Well, Dave, uh, we're out of time, but I want to thank you again so much for being here. It's always a a wonderful experience talking college hockey with you. Uh, We're less than a month away. We can't wait to get it going. Uh, And again, Dave, thanks so much for being with us, and uh, it's a genuine pleasure. Oh, it's always good when us veterans can sit back and talk college hockey, right? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we want to thank Dave Starman. He is our uh, special guest this week. Next week, we're going to be up at Merrimack College. We're going to do a hockey's preview with Coach Scott Boric, and we'll have uh, four other luminaries with us. So stay with us next week for more hockey talk. So, for my special guest, Dave Starman, I'm John Leahy. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week here on Airing It Out Files from Leahy's broadcast booth. <laughs>
1: Hello, hockey fans. I'm Dan Rusinowski. Mitochondrial disease is a rare multi-symptom disease characterized by breakdowns in the mitochondria, which are specialized compartments that are present in every cell of the body except red blood cells and are responsible for creating more than 90% of the energy needed by the body to sustain life and support growth. A disease most commonly associated with children, currently there is no cure, just management of symptoms. Hugs for Mito Incorporated is mitochondrial disease, rare disease advocacy, awareness, fundraising for research trials, and hopefully a cure. To learn more, please visit hugsformito.org.